Hi, everybody. Welcome to River Glen. Great to uh, have you here. Thanks for making River Glen part of your uh, weekend, and uh, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad I'm here. I wasn't sure if I would be able to be here. started having a, uh, a back problem and started going to the doctor. The doctor's helping me uh, to get better, but the uh, doctor recommended video message uh, this weekend, and so that's what we're going to do. And a uh, big shout-out to the arts team. I uh, really appreciate them putting in uh, some extra time to record this on video. And uh, the doctor also uh, gave me some uh, pain meds and uh, uh, muscle relaxers, and so I'm feeling really good. And so if something comes out uh, that's incorrect, you know what, I'm just going to blame the drugs. All right, it's the drug's fault, not my fault. Now, there's a couple things I've learned from this uh, back problem. First, first thing I learned, back problems can really hurt a lot. Yeah, I, I had no clue. And uh, I'm sure some of you have had some lower back pain or or maybe a, uh, an injury, or maybe even surgery, and uh, it's painful. And uh, I, can, I can relate to uh, some of your pain. If you haven't had any back problems, you know, you should thank God and praise God, and uh, that's a blessing um, in, in your life. Second thing I've learned is that we have some very bumpy roads in Wisconsin. You know, it's kind of funny when you have a, a back problem, you know, lower back problem, you start looking at the roads and all the bumps in the roads because you feel them. And I'm telling you, we need to do something about these bumpy roads in uh, Wisconsin. And so what I find myself doing, I've been a passenger in the car, and I find myself uh, reaching toward, uh, toward one of these, one of these handles in the car, reaching up. And uh, you know what that's called? It's actually called a grab handle. And I've been grabbing that, you know, so that I don't fall over, you know, and, or just lift myself up when, the, when I hit the bumps and help me get in and out of the uh, car. And speaking of handles, you know, that's what this new series is about. It's called Love Handles. And we're not really talking about, you know, your physical love handles, we can't help you with that. We're talking about relational love handles and getting a grip on love and relationships in our life. Because here's something I know about you and you know, everybody in the room here and myself included. We all want better relationships. You know, we all want to have great relationships. I mean, if you're single and you're, you're dating, you know, you want a great relationship with the, with the man or the woman in your life. If you have a spouse, you want to have, have a great marriage, Right? And if you have kids, you know, you want to have great relationships with your children. You know, you want them to grow up and eventually they leave home. And you want them to, to miss you and to call and, and to come back and, and see you. And, of course, all of us want to have great friendships. And we all want to have great relationships with the people that we work with. But the problem is we don't know how to develop better relationships. And so what we do is we just kind of revert back to what we've always done. Or we default to our personality style and we just get into trouble with these relationships in our life. And so in this series, each weekend, we're sharing with you a principle, five principles in total that come straight from the Bible. And each of these principles helps us to get a handle, uh, to get a grip on love and all the relationships in our life. Now, I heard last weekend Mark White did just a, an amazing job kicking off this series. And Mark's big idea was that when there's a fault in a relationship, fix your fault first, okay? You start uh, with you. And he gave you some homework and he said, you know, this week go and, you know, ask somebody close to you this question. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's my plank? And then just kind of sit back and listen to their honest feedback. And this will help you identify something in your life that God can change to help you to be better in your uh, relationships. Now, today we're going to learn another principle, second principle. And I'm really excited about this because I know this has the this has the power to just kind of turn a light bulb on in, in your minds. And, and you go, you know what, I can do that. 
And it can change all my relationships. And I've seen this particular principle change families and change marriages and change businesses and even change neighborhoods when people put it into practice. And, you know, I can say that because it's not my principle. It doesn't come from me. It comes from the Bible. It comes from God's word. Now, I have to give you a word of warning, though. When we read this, this first, uh, this, this principle from the Bible, there's going to be a part of you. You know, the moment that, you know, I read this, that's going to go, no, 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 that is so old-fashioned. I mean, nobody thinks that way anymore. I mean, that was 1950s. I mean, that will never work, you know, in today's world. That will never work in, in my life. And, and some of you here, maybe you're not even sure about, you know, the Bible or you're not sure about Jesus. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you and they said they'd take you out for a meal to a restaurant afterwards. And, and that's cool. We're just thrilled that you're here, but I think you're going to initially go, oh, I'm not too sure about this. That's why I stayed away. But here's what I want to ask you. Just track with me, okay, for a few minutes. And I think you're going to begin to see that this approach has the power to change all your relationships. And if you were to do this, it would have tremendous ability, not just to lower, you know, the tension in your relationships, not to just decrease the fighting in your relationships, but to just change the trajectory in all your relationships. So I want to read this passage to you from the, the Bible. And you need to know also that as I, as I read this, as much as, you know, we're going to think that it was old-fashioned, you need to know that the original audience that, that first heard this, I mean, they thought this was crazy too because nobody thought this way because they lived in a culture where power and authority and just being a man trumped just about everything. And women and children back then were viewed about, you know, on, the, on about the same level as, as, as livestock, you know, kind of as a means to an end. And so this guy by the name of Paul, we call him the Apostle Paul, he begins to teach this principle to, you know, this, this church in a letter that he writes to this church in this little town called Colossae. And Paul tells them that everything has changed because of Jesus. Jesus came into this world and he just turned everything upside down and made everything right side up. And suddenly everybody is equal. And we're all supposed to approach and respond to each other the same way that Jesus dealt with us. Okay? And it's going to change all of our relationships. And so Paul writes this letter to this church. Uh, this letter that we have in our Bible. And he begins by uh, telling them how family relationships should work as a result of what Jesus did. And we're just going to kind of walk through this. Uh, this passage, and I'm going to explain some things along the way, and then we're going to deal with some of our hesitations and figure out what we should do with this, okay? Okay, so here it is. It comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and Paul comes out, and look what he says here. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, like I said, just hold on for a second, okay? I know whenever we use the uh, S word here, you know, some people just kind of freak out and go, no, 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 no. That's old-fashioned. There's no way that I would ever be able to do that. I mean, you don't know my husband, okay? I understand, but don't argue with me yet. Just, just hold on, okay? Here's, here's what he's saying in this passage. That this is the ideal for the husband to lead his home in such a way as to say, we're following Christ. And for the wife to say, I agree with that, and I want to be involved in that mission, which means sub-mission, to be part of that mission, and we work together to make this happen in our home. Paul says that's the ideal situation, and that's what, that's what I want you to strive for in your home. Now, here again, you might say, well, that's not what's going on in my home. 
Okay, we'll get to that, just, but, but hang on, because now we have to deal with husbands. And here's what he says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And some of the ladies might be going, well, boy, they got off easy. I mean, love your wives, we all know that. That's not a big deal. But back then in the first century, men were, were very harsh with their wives. I mean, you know, they didn't have groups like, you know, Chicago and Air Supply to teach them about love and, and movies like The Notebook and, and, and things like that was not thought of. And men were just very harsh. Like I said, they viewed their wives about the same as they viewed their camels and their livestock. And for Paul to say, listen, you know, that may have been the way that it was, but not anymore. If you're a follower of Jesus, now, you know, you must begin to love your wife. But that sounded like crazy talk back then. And Paul says, I need you to step up and cherish her and protect her and care for her and love her. Love your wives. And the guys would be saying, that's a, tall, that's a pretty tall order. But Paul's not done because then he goes to kids. And look what he says here to the kids. He says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, if you're a parent, you love that verse, right? I mean, that's a verse you put on your child's door, bedroom door. You know, you text that verse to your kids every, every day. But, you know, here again, some of you students might be thinking, yeah, but you don't know my parents. You don't know what they're into and, and uh, what they want me to do. And, and, and they don't, they're not believers. Listen, I understand there's some parameters to this, but Paul says this is the ideal. You obey your parents. And then he says something that is just fascinating to me. This is the next and the last thing that he says. He says, he says fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, what do you think this means here, this phrase, do not embitter? embitter. Think about it this way, guys. You know, sometimes you want to motivate your child, right? And so maybe you go about doing that by, you know, raising the bar a little bit higher for them. Maybe you shout some things at them. Maybe you compare them, you know, to some others, but all that really does is crush their spirit. Now, you know, I'm all for motivating and discipline and all those kinds of things, but here's what he's saying. Guys, understand that your words carry a lot of weight and be careful what you say to your kids because in your effort to motivate them, in your effort to discipline them, you might end up crushing them. And here's something really interesting to me. You know, Paul addresses fathers here. Fathers only. He doesn't address the moms here. He addresses just the fathers. Why is that? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but maybe it's because sometimes dad's words carry more weight. You know, I remember growing up and my mom yelled at me for many, many times for things that I uh, did wrong. And I can't remember any of them, even though I listened, uh, kind of. But you know what? When my dad corrected me, when my dad disciplined me, I remember those words. Sometimes dad's words just carry more weight. And uh, he says, dads, be careful. And so this is, this is God's plan, you know, for an awesome family that Paul, you know, teaches us here. And notice it's not about the best sports or the best schools or the best grades or the most stuff. He says, here are the relational dynamics of what a family should look like. And he says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Kids, obey your parents. And dads, stop irritating your kids. Pretty simple, right? And so let's do that this next week. Let's uh, perfect that, okay? And so would you stand for closing prayer? No, 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 no. No, here, here, here's, what, here's what happens. You know, you hear that plan, and I hear that plan, and, and here's what some of you may be thinking. There's no way 
you know, that would ever work in our, in our family. Submit to my husband. Are you crazy? Do you know what my husband is up to? No, no, I don't. Or, you know, love my wife. Are you crazy? You know, if, if you were to spend five minutes with her, you would want to become a monk. There's no way this could ever work in our home. Or obey my parents. My parents don't have a clue. My parents are so out of touch. I mean, that is idealistic. It, it, it would just never work. And our reflex is to say, you know, that won't work. And so what we do is we go with what we've always done, okay? We say, well, my family's always been dysfunctional. I grew up in a dysfunctional home, and that's just normal for me. You know, in our home, you know, we yell. That's what we do. We yell. We throw things. We stuff things down. And, you know, about once a year, we explode, usually around the holidays. And that's just who we are. That's just what we do. And then, and then we just kind of live that out. And you know what we do? We take these dysfunctions out into the workplace, and we wonder why we have to change jobs. And we take these dysfunctions out in the neighborhood and we wonder why, you know, people see us coming and they, you know, close the door. They go inside and, and, and shut the door. We can't figure it out. But it's something inside of us. It's something that can change. And Paul says it really comes down to getting a new grip, a new handle on how you approach all your relationships. In fact, Paul goes on to write another letter. And uh, another verse that explains how to bridge the gap between the ideal and real. And, and how to make this happen in your home and in all your relationships. But to understand this verse that I'm going to read to you, you need to understand something about the change that Jesus brought when he showed up. You see, before Jesus, there was this idea that families and relationships live by. And here was the idea. Whoever has the power controls the other person. And this idea was passed on to them by the Egyptians when they held power, and then by the Greeks when they held power, and then by the Romans when they held power. This idea that if you have power, okay, you lord it over everybody. But now Jesus comes along and he says, no, 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 no. If you have power, use it for the powerless. If you have authority, use it for those who don't have it. If you have resources, use it for those who don't have any. But these people, they had never heard this before. And so in the early church, they started asking, well, okay, Paul, what does that look like in our families? Okay, Paul, what does that look like in all our relationships? Paul, can you break it down for us in simple form? And this is the verse that he writes to the church in Ephesus. Look at what he says. He says, submit to one another. Submit to one another. In other words, I want everybody in the home to be there for everybody else. I want you to know your role. And use your role to serve somebody else. Everybody submit to one another. That looks like this for wives. That looks like this for husbands. That looks like this for kids. And if everybody were there to submit to everybody else, then suddenly everything in the home would change. Everything in our relationships would change. And so here's the big idea that we're talking about this weekend. Great relationships practice mutual submission. Great relationships practice mutual submission. Now, I know you might say, but that you never met my spouse, or you never met my mother-in-law, or you never met my boss, and, and you're right. I, I, I haven't. I don't, I don't really know your situation. But I want you to understand something here. This teaching that Paul gives is not based on the other person, okay? It's based on a totally new approach to all your relationships. Now, I know we have a tendency to say, well, it's not going to work, you know, for me, or, you know, I'm too busy, or I can't, you know, fix the relationship. But this is really simpler than you may think. And it starts when you decide that a great relationship is going to be possible just by mutually submitting to one another, which means in this family, we're here for one another. 
in this workplace, we're here for one another. I'm going to be here for you because trying to make, trying to make you here for me is never going to make a great relationship. I'm here for you. And when you begin to get this principle in mind, you're on your way to changing every relationship in your life. So how do we do this? Well, I want to propose to you a question that we can ask on a daily basis to people in our life. And I think this question has the ability to move us to this level of being able to submit to one another. Here's the question. What can I do to help you? I want you to say that out loud with me, okay? Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. What can I do to help you? Now, think about how this question could change your relationships, you know, with your friends. Let's say that you randomly text each other. And instead of, you know, texting, you know, emojis or, you know, you see, you see what that person was wearing or, you know, I can't believe that. What if you just sent them a text, sent a text to a friend and said something like, anything you need from me this week? How can I pray for you this week? I had a friend call me this week. He had heard about, you know, my uh, back problem. And he called, and he just asked. He said, you know, is there anything that I, can, that I can do for you? And that was just a powerful question. I mean, that was just unbelievable. You know, he's still out painting my house, you know, right now. Uh, but that question was just uh, amazing. And that phone call just meant the world uh, to me. All right, think about how this question might uh, change your neighborhood. You know, what if you got in your car and you're backing out of your, your driveway and you see some people standing there? And you roll your window down and you just say, hey, anybody need anything from Woodman's? I'm on my way over there. They wouldn't know what to say. Or, you know, maybe somebody's got a list and they say, I've got eight coming over for dinner. You know, here, you know, get me this. In that case, you can just drive off. But what can I do to help you? Think about this in your home. You know, for those of you in middle school or, you know, in high school, you know, if you walk up to your parents and, you know, you look them in the eye, you put your phone down and you just say to them, you know, Mom and Dad, what can I do to help you? I mean, they might drop dead. They wouldn't know what to say. You know, if you really want to impress them, wait until they have some friends over and they got a group of people and walk right in the room, okay, and say something like, you know what, Mom and Dad, I'm getting ready to leave uh, for the night and I'll be home, you know, before curfew, you know, as, as always. But before I go, is there anything that I can do for you? And they will look like rock stars in front of their friends. Their friends will say, our kids would never do that. And... You know, they'll go, well, it's just, just some good parenting that's just going on uh, here. It would be amazing for them. And parents, you can do the same things with your kids. Just say to them, you know, I know you got a lot going on right now. I know, you know, you, you, know, you got a, a heavy load at school. I know you're taking some tests and, you know, you're trying to, you know, get into a, a college. But what can I do to help you? And you know what that does? Uh, it, it allows your child the opportunity to lean in and engage in a conversation with you. You know, as our kids get older, we're looking for ways to have conversations with them. And this is a great way to have a positive conversation. What can I do to help you? You know, ladies, for you to look at the man in your life and say, what can I do to help you? You know, I'll, I'll tell you what your man will probably say the first time. He'll probably say nothing, you know. I'm good. Uh, and, and that's because our, uh, us men, we have a tendency to to not want to admit that we need help. And, uh, you know, maybe he thinks, you know what, I'll take care of it. You know, I'm the provider. Um, I'm the protector. I'm fine. But I'll tell you what, you ask him enough, eventually he will tell you something that you can do that would help him tremendously. Now, guys, you know, we don't like to ask this question to the lady 
uh, in, in, our, in our lives. And that's because we're afraid of the answer, right? We're afraid that her answer will never end. But you know what? It's really important for us to ask her this question because the lady in our life sometimes might feel like we're not really there to help her. And just by asking this question, what can I do to help you? It lowers the barriers in the relationship, and it can be a game changer in your relationship. Now, now we're having some fun with this, but, you know, I realize that there are some serious hesitations, some, some concerns that we might have about going in, in this direction. So let me, let, me, let me share some of these concerns that we have. First one is this, that, that uh, you know, they'll take advantage of me. You know, you, know, you students, when I, when I told you to go do this with your parents, you're probably thinking, man, if I do that, you know, I'll have more to do than I can even get my mind around. I'll just have, my parents will just give me all kinds of chores uh, to do. And some of you parents are thinking, if I ask my kids, you know, what can I do for you? They're going to say, well, you can, you know, lift my uh, curfew and, you know, let me come home at, at 2 a.m. So there's some limits, obviously. But this is a legitimate concern. Somebody might try to take advantage of you. Here's another concern. No one's going to do it but me. You know, I'll be the only one walking around the house taking orders and, because nobody's offering, nobody else is offering to help, right? That's another uh, legitimate concern. And then here's another concern that we might have. No one's going to be in authority. Well, I'll just sit around going, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Or, you know, how can I help you? I don't know. How can I help you? And nothing gets done. Again, this is a legitimate concern that may happen. But that's why the second half of this verse is so important because it explains to us why we need to do this. Now, now, see, most of us tend to think and live by the fact that the verse might look like this. Submit to one another as long as they meet my needs. And some of you are going, did Paul really write that? No, I just made that up, okay. But that's how many of us approach our relationships, like a consumer. You know, many of us have a consumer relationship with organizations like, you know, Walmart or AT&T or Amazon or Apple. A consumer relationship means I'm entering this relationship with a vendor or with a business as long as they provide the pricing that I want or the service or the uh, product that I want. And so if, you know, Walmart doesn't make us happy, you know, we go to Target. If, if Sprint doesn't make us happy, we go to AT&T. We constantly look for a, a, a better uh, deal, which isn't wrong. But we bring that mentality into our relationships and we think, I'm not sure you're meeting all my needs. You know, when I, when I talk to couples and I hear them talk about the problems in their marriage and, you know, they start listing the other things, the things that the other person is not doing, I know that we're in trouble because they think this idea of mutual submission is just about when they meet my needs. But there's nobody that can meet all your needs. They were never designed to be able to meet all your needs. Only God can meet your needs. And as long as you're constantly looking for somebody else to meet your needs, you're going to constantly be looking for somebody else. As long as you only practice this verse, when they meet your needs, you're never going to develop great uh, relationships. Here's a second way that we read this verse. Sub submit to one another as long as they deserve it. You know, as long as they're, you know, doing good enough. And so we're constantly evaluating how well they're doing to decide, you know, if they deserve for me to ask them, what can I do to help you? Because after all, didn't Jesus say do unto others as they do unto you? No. Actually, he said do unto others as you would have them do. Unto you, And if we base our approach to relationships on whether we think the other person deserves, what, what the other person deserves, the relationship can only go so far because they're never going to deserve our submission. But instead, here's what the verse actually says. Submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Now, that word reverence, we don't use that very often in everyday language. And what that word really means is respect. Submit to one another out of respect for Christ. And so we don't submit to one another based on them being, you know, good enough or, or deserving, but rather we submit to one another because of, of Jesus. Because there was a day that God looked at the world so uh, disgusted by sin that it separated us from him. And Jesus asked, what can I do to help you? And God answered for us and said, somebody needs to die in their place. And Jesus said, I'll do that. And every time you serve somebody else, every time you ask, what can I do to help you? It's not just, you know, making the relationship better. You're behaving like Jesus. And you submit to others, not, not based on whether they deserve it, but because Jesus modeled it for us. That's why uh, we do it. Now, I know there's a fear of, you know, what if I lose authority? You know, what if I go from being number one to number two and it changes the way that other people look at me? Well, submission and authority are, are two different things. Submission does not eliminate authority. I mean, Jesus submitted himself, and, and he still has authority. Submission is about how you handle your authority, what you do with your authority. Submission is about how do you approach relationships. And following Jesus, here's what it means. It means that we don't just leverage our authority and try to control other people. It means that we try to, first, that we try to serve somebody else and we model a life the way that Jesus lived. Because isn't it true that the problems, you know, in our homes, the problems in our friendships and in our relationships are not the result of too many people saying, I'm here for you. No, they're the result of too many people saying, you're here for me. And when we begin to practice this principle of mutual submission, our relationships grow closer together. So how about if you lead the way this week by asking people, what can I do for you? Yeah, there'll be times when people take advantage of you. Yeah, there'll be times when you're the only one. But you know what? You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for Christ. And so here's, here's the homework that I have for you. Here's the challenge that I have for you this, this week. Two things, okay? The first part of the homework, I want you to memorize, you know, this verse right here. Okay, let's, let's, let's say that again together. Ready? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want you to memorize that verse this week because that's going to help you with the second part of your homework. And here's the second part. Once a day, each day this week with somebody in your life, okay, I want you to ask them this question, what can I do to help you, okay? And not just people that you um, get along with, okay, um, but I want you to also include some people, ask this question to some people that you don't get along with very well, and you ask them this question, and then you just listen to what they have to say. And they may say nothing, they can't think of anything, it's all good, but you keep asking because eventually they'll believe that you really want to know Okay, what you can do to help them. I bet over the next few days, the temperature and the tension in your home will change dramatically. I bet that the way that you're viewed, you know, in the workplace will change dramatically. I bet the way that you're viewed in the neighborhood will change dramatically just by asking this question, asking people this question, what can I do to help you? You know, some of you right now, you're in some really difficult situations, your, your marriage is at an impasse, maybe you're not even sure that it's going to make it. Just take these next few days, these next several days, 
and ask this question. Begin by asking this question. What can I do to help you and see what happens? Some of you are in some difficult parenting situations, maybe because of a divorce. There's, there's two homes and, you know, you go every other weekend to drop off the kids. When you're dropping those kids off and you're looking at your ex, what if you were to say, what can I do to help you? You know, what kind of model, what kind of example would that set for your children? Some of you are in blended families right now, and there's a problem with the blending. Maybe there's somebody in the home that you're not connecting with very well, and you, you just don't know how to build a bridge to that person. What if you start with this? What can I do to help you? You know, maybe some of you have a teenager in the home who's not very interested in, in talking with you. And to be honest, maybe you burned a bridge a long time ago because of a lack of, of integrity or, or trust. But I think one of the ways to rebuild that and open up conversation is to begin by asking, you know, what can I do to help you? And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. Memorize this verse, okay? And then ask this question to people in, in, in your relational circles every day this week. What can I do to help you? I have a group of guys that read my talk several days beforehand and, and give me the feedback and input that's always helpful. One of the guys read, the, read this talk and he took the challenge. And uh, he emailed me uh, about it, and here's what he said. He said, I tried it out on my family, and so I had three test subjects, and the outcomes were all the same. They told me exactly what I could do to help them. They didn't try to have me take control of the situation. They were thankful and grateful, I asked. This was be even before I did what they asked. They were visibly less stressed because of the offer to help, and challenging situations were diffused as I did exactly what they asked. In summary, they felt listened to, they felt I cared, and it helped diffuse the situation just by asking, what can I do to help you? Now, I know this is going to stretch some of us to ask this question. You know, some of us may need to gear up and, you know, practice asking this question in the mirror. You know, that's okay. Whatever you need to do. You know, some of you are overachievers, and you're already texting this question out to other people. Good for you. Let's all take this challenge and begin asking this question and see what God will do. I'm going to pray for us right now. And then we're going to uh, share communion. And, and our communion is an open communion, open to anybody that follows Jesus. Let's use this time of communion to remember how Jesus submitted himself all the way to, all the, way to the cross to help every person here. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for just the wisdom that it's in, that's in this principle right here. That 2,000 years ago in a culture where, where nobody did this, that you said, this is how I approach you, so now I want you to approach people this way. But God, as simple and as wise as it sounds, it can be very difficult for us to, to apply. So God, would you help us this week to begin to, to take this new approach to relationships by asking this question, would you find people in our lives this week who we could ask, what can we do to help them? Would you help us to seek to serve first rather than to be served? And we would follow up in a response. God, thank you most of all for the example of Jesus who submitted himself and served every one of us by going to the cross. May we seek to serve others out of respect for Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.